Welcome to the Inspired Wild Podcast. I am your host, Trevin Stoltzfus. And it's been a while, Fred, but I am joined by Fred from, we just call him Fred from Wasp. Isn't that what everybody pretty much refers to you? As? Yeah, yeah. You know what, Fred Fred or Freddie, I get I get an awful lot. You know, Fred, uh, your last name is Dar- Doherty. Doherty? We, we say Doherty with a hard K, like Doherty. Uh, it's not spelled that way. <laughs> yeah, I know. The Irish are a strange group. You know, we, we, we were Doherty. such drunkards. Okay. We were such okay. drunkards when we came here. We had to hide out and change our name. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things I like getting with you at uh, when we get together is talking the more technical aspects of archery, specifically um, how the broadhead and arrow match up together um, to create that accurate missile downrange. Um, for those people that don't know, I've been helping you guys out with some social media. So by default, I've actually been answering some questions on Facebook and, and Instagram and stuff like that. Um, some of the questions, uh, I can only imagine I get a small percentage of what you get, um, because you're kind of the de facto, um, expert when it comes to broadhead tuning, arrow tuning, you know, and all of that stuff, uh, from, the consumer, you know, the, the average Joe that goes to the to the archery shop or, you know, the, the sporting goods shop and says, you know, I need broadheads. And um, I've got a couple of interesting conversations I've had with people that I want to bring up. But I want to kind of start off by asking you, Fred, what's the most common question that you're asked when it comes to wasp archery broadheads hunting accuracy all that stuff well and you know i I think you hit it hit the nail on the head especially especially newcomers to the sport and i love talking to these guys uh, because it's you know people like you and i we've been doing this our whole lives but these new guys they're it's the first time they're excited they you know they're really looking forward to it they've heard from their buddies or whatever um and believe it or not i get and you're right, I get a ton of questions, especially this time of the year, either emails or even phone calls. I started um, the factory in Connecticut. I'm in Pennsylvania, but where we make our broadheads in Connecticut, anytime they get a call that's not, hey, can I place an order, um, they forward it to me. Um, so I, I try to be to give that consistent message back to the consumer to try to help them out. I literally, when you were when you were, we were trying to log on to this, I was, I was hanging up from a guy who's never hunted in his life. He decided he's going to bow hunt before he even rifle hunts and it's the typical question is you know i shoot uh this bow at this pounds uh what broadhead should i use um and that's that's a tough one and requires a long conversation as you know because there's no there's no answer to that right so we spend a lot of time trying to help the consumer understand that look it's not magic it's finding something that you're comfortable with depending on the animal you are hunting and you know so on and so forth so it's but but that's that's a that's a real typical question i shoot this bow at this poundage what broadhead should i use and there's just no there's no stock answer to that question yeah that brings up a thought uh with this season already kicking off you know mainly primarily in the west you guys is uh uh, whitetail season has not started has it 
No, that's correct. We got another two weeks yet. Okay. I know some, like, I believe uh, Missouri started the 15th of September. I think there's a few states, Midwest, that start in the, you know, 5th of September. As you move westward, it's interesting. The seasons start earlier. Um, like, I've already hunted. Uh, antelope season's been open since uh, in some areas since August 15th. Then elk, a lot of elk starts September 1st. Then, you know, I've already... Uh, killed a mule deer in velvet uh my once in a lifetime moose which we can talk about because that was amazing by the way i saw the picture dude it was Uh, amazing (laughs) but uh, a lot of these guys are are gearing up um when i say a lot of these guys let's break down the demographic of the bow hunter um when you draw the mississippi river down through the united states uh, west of the Mississippi, I would say, makes up less than a third of all bow hunters. Would you? Maybe I'm being assumptive on that, but I would say there's much more, much more bow hunters. Is that good English? Many more bow hunters. Much more. There's a lot more. Let's just much go more that. Gooder. Yeah, more gooder. There's more gooder and much more better. Um, more 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 bow hunters on the east uh east of the mississippi um as far as numbers uh, you know I, I, that's probably true i i never really added it up but you're probably right just because it now see there goes my phone already that's all right that's all right because of uh, uh just sheer numbers i mean let's face it most people live you know either on the on the west coast or the east coast and we know there's not a lot of hunting going on in the in the california area although there's some but it's not not as prevalent as it is on the east side and and when you when you move east um, it's typically you're, you're talking deer hunting. I mean, you really have to clarify with somebody if they're going to shoot something other than a deer. Um, it, it, those conversations are, are, are one in 20. Um, it's either right. the guy is going to go out west for the first time or, or whatever, or it's a hog hunter. All right. Maybe turkey. Maybe turkey if it's the spring. Um, but for, for me, when I'm asking a guy, uh, so, so I think our foundations are coming from different places too because when somebody asks me the exact same question that they ask you i'm my first question is well are you elk hunting you know and 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 the guy's like no i'm deer hunting what are you crazy well because of where i, I grew up in new mexico live in colorado you know to me that's out my back door so in my little pea brain, that seems like that should be out everybody's back door, but it's not. So the reality of what we're talking is primarily deer, white-tailed deer hunting. Um, so the question you get is, what do I use? And the majority that, you know, those 19 out of the 20 calls that you're talking to, you clarify with the customer or with the, the, the potential bow hunter that he's going to be hunting white-tailed deer. Where where do you go from there? Then typically it'll go into, you know, how long have you been shooting? Um, what distances are you comfortable with? That sort of thing. And and honestly, I I've, I wholeheartedly recommend for East Coast whitetails, you're, you're talking about rarely does a guy shoot a 200-pound deer. I mean, that's a big, big animal for us in the East. Yeah, maybe not in Maine or, you know, Minnesota or Iowa, places like that. But that's not really – I don't consider that East so much. But, um, I mean, Pennsylvania, New York, Maryland, Delaware, all, all the way down the coast, there's just not 200-pound deer hanging around every tree, you know, like, like there is out, out in the Midwest and West. So, 
And then, and again, I, I don't consider a, a, you know a hundred and forty pound doe is is not a big animal um, by any by any stretch of imagination compared to you know people that hunt elk and moose and African game and so forth. So I, I'll, I'll always steer a new guy to mechanicals, and the reason is I, I want them to be confident. I want them to shoot straight. I, you know, their bow form probably isn't as good as it's going to be five years from now. They're, are you are you uh, are you sitting on the train tracks? Yeah, they're only about forty yards down. <laughs> <the trail. laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a lucky day, man. The kids aren't uh, Sarah's kids aren't here today, so they're they had Zoom offline or something. I don't know whatever kids do it instead of going to school today. But yeah, we get about thirty or forty trains a day come come past us right here, and usually there's three dogs here in the office. So every time there's a bump or a, a bang, three dogs are barking. So, <laughs> oh, but so today's actually today's pretty quiet. Things are awesome, doing awesome. all good. But anyway, back to that. That so that's typically what I say. Now, uh, I I will all I always prefer a fixed head. I just like fixed heads better. Um, and, I, and and because of, you know, guys like you and I are pretty lucky, we, we do have the opportunity to get hunting bigger game, you know, different places. And I just don't want to switch up. I find something I like and I hang with it. Um, and I, we talked about this, I think, a year ago. I mean, I started shooting 125 grain many years ago. And, I man, it, you'd, have to, you'd have to break my arm to get me to go back to 100s. I just... I just think that my bow's quieter. I I have better accuracy, and I just I just feel much better with a little more kinetic energy and weight up front and all that. Um, but anyway, I I'll typically recommend a uh, a mechanical head to a new guy who's going to shoot East Coast whitetails. If you're going to say you're going to go out west and, and shoot a moose or a Canada or Yukon or something, shoot a moose. Uh, I I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't recommend that. Um, but that's and not why to say is that? Why, why, well, it's why? not to say it's not to say it can't be done. Um, but certainly any mechanical head will, will reduce your kinetic energy a bit. Uh, we figure it's about eight or 9%. Um, and also I just, I just, I love our hardened stainless steel trocar tip. Uh, I think it's, I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's the right thing. And I am a huge fan of small cut, not big cut. Um, I, and, I just, and why? Is it because of the dissip, uh, the dissipation? Uh, I don't even know if that's a word. It sounds like a word. Um, you know, the 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 loss of energy as uh, the bigger the cutting diameter as it makes entry in the entry channel, um, will it lose uh, that ke quicker? Do you think, or and and loss of penetration? It it will always take some energy to open the broadhead, whether it's a rear deploy or front deploy. Um, it will it will it will take some energy to open that. It has to. Um, I, I'm not a physician, but I a physician. I'm not a doctor either. I'm, I'm not a physicist, um, but I, I I don't. It has to. It takes some kind of of energy to open a mechanical head. Now guys get all wrapped up in, you know, how much is that? And you know, there's another conversation I want to have with you too about about broadhead weights, but um, it, it's going to take something. And, and my feeling is, my belief is this. If you if you shoot an animal broadside like like an elk, okay, there's big ribs in an elk. You you've you've skinned them. You moose the same way. They they are big ribs, uh, and you want to plow through there. You want to you want to get through that with with the most kinetic energy you can possibly muster up. And then e- even on a deer, I mean, I, I always tell people at shows and stuff like you hold your your four fingers up, and that kind of sort of represents the distance that a deer's ribs are apart. You know, if you spread your fingers out. You know, if you, if you have a, and let's go extremes, if you have a, a one inch broadhead, 
you could only ever hit one rib. It's not possible to hit two ribs with a one-inch diameter cut broadhead. Um, but if you have a, let's go extreme, like a two-and-a-quarter cut diameter broadhead, you're almost guaranteed to hit two ribs. That's slowing stuff down. Um, and I, you know, I'm sure you feel the same way. I, I want through an animal. I don't want halfway in it. I want all the way through. Um, so if I have to bust two ribs on the way in, so be it. I can bust two more on the way out if I have a, a you know, a, a small or a big enough bow and a small enough broadhead. Um, but I don't, I don't want to hit multiple ribs if I can help it. Um, so that's, that's how I kind of like, I came full circle there, but it's, you know what I'm saying? I, less bone better is better. Let's put it that way. Right. Well, and I think we could even say it's a parallel bell curve, uh, loss of kinetic energy to poundage of bow you shoot let me let me take a step even further back if my daughter is shooting 38 pounds and i put a mechanical two inch cut on contact two inch you know two blade two inch cut um jackknife let's say 100 grain okay um the problem that you encounter is you have a, a starting kinetic energy that is lower than my 70 pound at 27 inch draw even though that is really that's probably on the small side uh, of draw length um, and so if my kinetic energy with a medium weight arrow and a 100 grain broadhead comes in at 62 pounds of kinetic energy hers comes in starting at 45 let's i'm just I'm, I'm i haven't done the numbers i'm just giving some parallels then the if you factor the same two broadheads i am going to lose uh i might even lose a more kinetic energy upon impact than she will but it's all a percentage of all of these factors stacked on top. The problem is she's starting so low, there's not much to lose before we we our penetration is just completely lacking. You're exactly right. That's and that that was my point that I was I was hopefully yes. That I you know you want you want to get through the animal, not to the animal, or halfway right. in. And I, right. again, and, I hear I hear guys say argue this all the time. They think if an arrow is halfway inside of a deer or any animal and, and it's running away, that that arrow is somehow in there grinding around like a meat grinder or something, churning things up. And that's just not true. I mean, that's just not right. the case. It's not what we've thought. It's not you know well you know he's running off and I see the tail end of that arrow wagging. It's not making mincemeat. It might be causing a little collateral damage but not what we think um, I just had a conversation with a gentleman who um, turned out to be 13 years old that's the problem with social media here I am talking with someone and I don't know if they're a young immature bow hunter but they're still 25 they're only immature because they just don't have the experience or if they're truly a 13 year old who's hunting bow hunting for the first time so he's asking me these questions that are very similar to this and he's he started off with why don't you guys make a two and a half inch cutting diameter you know two blade broadhead and my response was well if you look at the physics and you look at the average draw weight and draw length of bow hunters um, you extrapolate that down. Your average 
draw weight, I mean, draw length is around 28 inches. And these aren't my numbers. This is just some, some, some polling that, that, you know, one of the bow hunting magazines did years ago. It could have changed a little bit, but I think it's pretty accurate. The average draw length is 28 inches. The average draw weight is just over 65 pounds. And then you put a inch and a half expandable two blade broadhead on there and you shoot it and you put a two and a half expandable broadhead on there and you shoot it the amount of kinetic energy you will lose opening is by common sense going to be much more on the two and a half on top of that the amount of penetration that you will lose or momentum is another uh, kind of a key word that we use when we're talking about arrow penetration. Um, your one and a half inch cutting diameter is much less than the two inch. So the question I was asking him is, look, um, and it turns out his draw length was even shorter and he was pulling less weight. The problem is we don't want a four inches of penetration on a deer. We want all the way through if possible if not at least to the offside shoulder you know clean through a good wound channel so in response to him is the physics don't make sense for the average bow hunter we don't build customized broadheads we take an average mean and i say we i mean wasp because i'm speaking i was speaking on behalf of wasp in this little uh, interaction we take the average mean of of the industry and we say how is every broadhead we make going to be effective for that average now that means that if you're my daughter and you're shooting a smaller draw and that's why she shoots the 85 grain three blade cut on contact or, or a, a trocar tipped uh queen um it is a lighter broadhead but it still has a you know it's not two inch it's uh you know it's I don't remember what the queen is, but it's th three inch, but or it's an inch, but it's three blades. So, but she got, she, you know, good penetration where she would not, if you shot that and then she shot the two inch side by side, her penetration on the, the queen is going to be much better. Okay. You now, guys prove this all the time with uh -huh. ballistic jelly and, you know, that right. kind of stuff. It's right. like, it's, it's, it's an easy thing to, to prove. Um, I just, but, you know, I just think you, confidence is still the, the biggest factor. I don't care what, what you're shooting. Right. You, if you're confident and you know what's a good shot placement and what's, you know, if it's quartering away at, you know, almost 90 degrees, that, that's not a good shot placement. You know, that that's not what you want. And you just sometimes you just have to, you know, save it for another day. You know, it's, right. it's hard to do that when you're excited and especially when you're young and so on and so right. forth. But, um, well, and, and. For this gentleman, this young Tommy B was his name. Tommy B, I told him, look, it's not worth it physics-wise to have a two-and-a-half-inch cutting diameter, but yet you don't get into the vitals. It does not make sense where even with a good shot, with a lower pass. So, so I'm trying to add all these things up, and I said, that's why you'll see we make these different broadheads okay for him in his situation i think he probably for a small animal like a deer or an antelope or something like that small bones um he could probably he's right on that cusp on the low end mind you but he could probably get away with uh either a inch and a half or a two inch 
expandable, but honestly, something like the Mortem or uh, the Drone, or even the Havilon HV, um, I think would be a better choice for him. Now, that has nothing to do with the size of the game. Although we know what he's shooting, he's shooting white tailed deer. When you throw in, as you said before, the size of the game, that changes everything. But I wanna I, I wanna make one little caveat because Adam Wells um, this year has shot three animals already. He shot a whitetail and velvet, a mule deer and velvet, and an elk, all with the two blade jackknife. Hundred hundred grain. Now I prefer to shoot anything above a deer, antelope, whitetail, mule deer, you know, something like that. I prefer, when I jump up to that elk realm, fixed blade. Um, that's me. And you mentioned it earlier, bone structures, heavier. Um, I also, this year, you'll be interested to, to see here, I normally shoot, and when, I, when I'm talking about what I like to do, he's, he's shooting typically a... 29 inch draw at 70 of his bows maxed out so it comes in right about 72 74 pounds even though it's a 70 pound limb you know when you max out some of these hoits some of these matches difference you'll a lot of times you'll get a little bit more than just 70 doesn't just sit, stop at 70 um and so that he could pretty much shoot anything in our arsenal and be deadly with it because he's got that 29 inch i'm 27 so what I did this year, since I drew my moose tag, is I knew I needed something that uh, was going to be heavier, and um, and and I needed more momentum, more kinetic energy. So I actually went and I practiced, or I I built a couple different options, and I came up with an arrow that comes in right at 500 grains with a 100 grain tip that's included uh, with a 100 grain broadhead okay i would i've normally shoot around 435 okay which i've been fine with on deer still would be very comfortable shooting deer with that what a lot of these guys have done in years past and i'm sure you're familiar with this is they got into the speed race so everybody wanted their bows to be maxing out at that 300 305 315 those speeds right but in order to get those speeds, you have to shoot a lighter arrow. And there is a diminishing returns for that um, when it comes to kinetic energy. The quickest way to add kinetic energy to your setup, every, I think people that have ever done this know, is you add weight to your projectile. It slows your speed down, which means your pin gaps start to widen. But what it does is it ups your kinetic energy. So... I built this 500 grain meat missile and I started testing it. I shoot a four fletched, my uh, four veins. Okay. Another thing that I found over the past 10 years for uh, stabilization that's out of this world is I shoot four fletches. Um, I'm shooting a drop away rest, uh, um, a Hamsky Hybrid Hunter Pro, which, which, allows for i could shoot what i could shoot six veins if i <laughs> not that you'd want to you know what i mean though it's the veins not an issue i'm not shooting a whisker biscuit that has softer brushes for my three veins you know i'm, I'm shooting something that is totally out of the way um 
Correct. Mm-hmm. No, no. I think they're two and three quarters or something like that. I mean, um, so what I did this year is I didn't go and find an arrow that's heavier. I found an arrow that I liked. My my length of draw is 27. My arrow's at 26 and a quarter cut down. But I shoot a 100-grain brass insert and then my 100-grain broadhead. Now, the reason I do that is it gets my front of center. And we're not going to have a FOC uh, discussion here because we don't have the time. But what I did find out is that was a really smart way. And some people say I'm I'm too far, I'm too much FOC, but I'm only coming in at like 17% FOC. Okay. Which for those of you don't don't know, that's front of center. That's the amount that if I was balancing that arrow, I would be front of center in order to get that arrow to balance on my finger. Okay. So what that did for me is last year I shot a 35 grain insert and then my 100 grain broadhead. So I had, a, let's say I had 135 grains up front. Okay. Now I'm shooting 200 grains up front because you had in my broadhead. A lot of people say that's too much, but my group at 80 yards tightened dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. let me expound on that just, a, just yeah. a little bit because there's, there's something there's what you're saying is exactly true and it's going on. It's like a, it's like a movement that's it's spreading across the country among the brotherhood of hunters. But, um, the years ago it was, it was, everybody was chasing speed. I mean, everybody remember, remember overdraw oh, was a, my the most dangerous yeah. thing ever invented. And I, right. it was crazy, but you know, everybody just wanted that speed. When I said wanted speed, I can, I, I think, I think I can remember, that by going to an overdraw, you could get from 200 to 225 or, you know, something crazy. It was like, back. that's how slow we were shooting back then. Modern day bows, and they're all doing it. I don't care if it's Hoyt, Matthews, who it is. They, they, the kinetic energy that's built in to the cams, the, the energy, the, uh, the science that's built in, bows have much, much more kinetic energy today than they ever had, and they're faster. And when you take that one step further, and go into the realm of crossbows. I mean, th- these guys are pushing 500 feet per second with crossbows. Yeah. Now. So I pr- I preach to everybody that'll listen: more weight up front is better. Obviously, to an extent. I mean, you know, you can't have 400 grains up front, but you know, more is better. And it's not my preaching. I don't know what I think. Everybody else is just getting it, but I got to tell you, my 150 grain sales this year are up five fold five times wow what they have been that is unprecedented we couldn't keep up we're still struggling and it, it's and it's it's almost october and we are still struggling uh to keep up with demand and we're putting some some dealers that you know when i don't want to say limits but you know where if they order 50 we, we send them 25 you know to try to try to get you know, keep ahead of things so every so we spread it out in the across the country but um there is no doubt for some reason 150 grain has just taken off well and, and uh, i think i think some of that has to do with the crossover from trad because if, if you've ever been around a traditional hunter they they take that to an extreme you, it's not uncommon for guys to have 250 grains up front and there might only be they might not even be uh, shooting 100 
80 feet per second. So here you are, a slower bow, much, much slower bow, yet they're putting more up front, yet their penetration is amazing. It's not uncommon to hear about a guy shooting a 60-pound recurve to get a through-and-through pass-through on a broadside elk. Sounds like you've been sharing campfires with that CJ fella. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. But I, I think it's, I mean, CJ's definitely, but I think it's not just that. You got uh, Aaron Snyder with uh, Kafaru. Um, you know, he's gone to shooting a traditional bow and, and um, he's really preaching it. And I think, but I think you're right. I think there has been a movement and I'm, I got to say, I'm tickled to death that they're moving away from this speed uh, as your primary, most important thing to back to your a little bit you know more weight and accuracy mm-hmm. i and i i gotta tell you something else too it, it's like um and i think we may have had you and i had this conversation i think a while back but when when we first came out with the drone in a 125 grain okay i bumped up to shoot those so that we had you know some staff experience with them and so on and so forth and i just i was blown away by how much better my groups got now I, I'm not I'm not I, you know two shoulder operations and I'm an old guy so I, I don't shoot near what I used to um, so if you know if I'm if I'm hitting a two inch bullseye at 35 yards I'm thrilled um, if I can do that consistently I'm because I don't shoot that far anymore um, I always I always practice far uh, but but admittedly my groups aren't that great at, at 50 and 60 yards like they used to be but anyway um, things got quieter the bow got smoother. And I, I was, I'm never going back. I mean, I'm, I'm never right. going back 100, 100 grain. I'm not. Um, when I went, and I know you were there at, at a different time, but um, last year when I went muskox hunting, I did exactly what you did for your moose hunt. And I thought, oh, man, muskox are huge. I'm studying their anatomy, and I'm thinking, man, they got they got ribs that are bigger than my wrists. You know, they're, they're, they're giant animals, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking 900 pound animal and I'm going to have to, you know, blow through this thing. So I, I did exactly what you did. I even went more extreme. I went to a, a 620 grain total setup, uh, which included 150 grain sledgehammer on the front. Um, way more than I needed by the way. Um, but it was, it was fun and I enjoyed it. And I'm tell you when I, Usually I shoot here at the shop, but when I, I go to my local club with with a uh, you know bag target, you, you could hear the difference. Right. When, right. when, a, when that setup weighing over six hundred grains slaps into a bag target and actually most of the time poked out the back, people people the rest of the guys in the range are looking down saying, well, "What the heck was that?" You know, right. it's slap it's slapping that hard. So. Um, I probably won't ever shoot that setup again. I've retired those arrows. It was fun. Shot the muskox. It was great. We had a good time, and and it was a, a whole lot of work. But I, I don't, I don't, you know, to me that that's like that's like hunting with a you know a, a four hundred nitro to go whitetail hunting or something. I, you know, with the, with the rifle, I'm not, I don't, I don't need that. It's a little overkill, and I, I, I. We had to work very hard, and I think we talked about this in the last podcast. Um, that I. I, the the limit was 535 i think that was what greenland's uh regs said that I, and i again m- remember i'm shooting a 430 grain arrow at this time i ended up shooting a full length arrow with 150 grain um i used the traditional sharpshooter okay with an insert behind it in order to get to that weight okay now like you said 
Yeah, it was over. It, it, I was fine. I went through, and um, literally, if it wasn't for the hair, I would have gone all the way through. But again, a four-fletch um, arrow, I have found, hangs up in the offside hide much easier than a three-fletch. Um, and so a lot of times, I'm going to, and I want to explain my shots this year with this setup in difference to last year so I can, so I can hopefully encourage people that what I'm saying isn't my opinion, it's my experience. And I literally shot through that musk ox and it was just dangling out the, the only thing holding it was the four fletches. This year with my setup, again, I kind of explained the hundred grain insert with the hundred grain broadhead, da, 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 right? Length of arrows the same as last year. I did go to a stiffer shaft okay because what's the quickest way to weaken your spine is shoot with weight up front right so you have to uh, and if you look at the charts today i don't know if you find this to be true but if you look at the arrow charts i don't care who makes them i think they're outdated um i put my specs in and it says i should be shooting a 400 spine um, but then when I add on the weight up front, then I'm, uh, I'm, I, it says I'm almost too stiff to be shooting a 400, but I'm weak to be shooting a 340. Um, so I'm right in the middle. Well, Tim Gillingham, if you know who he is, he's, uh, you know, he is an amazing archer. Um, won a, he's just went, uh, to the senior pro tour, won a bunch of ASAs and I mean, just a, just a phenomenal archer and he's a friend of mine works with gold tip arrows and uh, um in his opinion it's really hard to be too stiff on an arrow um uh-huh so by default i went to a 340 from a 400 because again i was planning on bulking up my my arrow broadhead combo and i wanted to get up around that uh high fours low fives is was my goal i didn't want to jump all the way to that 535 i had to shoot for muskox but since i had my moose tag and an elk and you know all this stuff i've got this is where i wanted to be and what i found out on my first hunt um f well first of all let me step back when i'm broadhead tuning and i know you do the same thing i don't I shoot, and we're not going to go into broadhead tuning per se step by step but as i'm broadhead tuning I found with my bow now, instead of shooting 285 feet per second because of the added weight, I'm right around 265. So it slowed my bow down. But it was incredibly easy to get fixed blade broadheads to tune because aerodynamics, the faster you go, the, the easier it is to plane. So I slowed my bow down by just the physics of the setup of shooting a heavier projectile. Um, but what I gained from that w was a lot easier to tune. Um, and just a caveat, any, another uh, thing I feel all the time is why don't my broadheads hit where my field points are, which I do, I want to get back to. I do want to get back to that. Um, but what I found out was that my accuracy went way up uh, my grouping, my, my broadhead. So here I am. I'm shooting, um, practicing with the jackknife. I'm practicing with the mortem. I'm practicing with the drone. I'm practicing. I've got these broadheads, and 
every to start every broadhead gets spun on an arrow i will not even shoot to see how it shoots unless i get a very very precise spin meaning no wobble okay anybody who doesn't spin their arrows that's like not putting oil in your truck um you you're not going to get very far okay you might be okay to run to circle k and get a soda pop but you're not going to go very far so that's where my starting point is before you before you leave that i, I just want to expound on something because that's a nut you we started this whole conversation with the kind of questions i get and and of course you know my broadheads don't hit where my field points do that's that's probably number two now and like you said we can talk about that till the cows come home but um i, I don't disagree spinning is absolutely the way to go but then the next thing, okay, if you get one that's not spinning right, all right, because I get these calls, um, it, it's it, at least I'm going to speak for Wasp, but it's probably true for many, many broadhead manufacturers, but obviously we're, we're here about Wasp, but it's not because the broadhead is crooked. Um, that's probably the last possibility. Correct. Um, I mean, they're made on high speed precision CNC type equipment spinning at, you know, 1750 RPM like a lathe. You, you can't make one that's bent. Um, it's just not possible. Right. Uh, so there's lots of other things that can cause an arrow to, to, to wobble and it's mostly inserts and, and that sort of thing. But uh, I just want to point that out that because uh, I have the same experience and you know as well as I do, you can you can fletch up and build a dozen arrows and you're going to have two of them that just are never going to see a target because you're just going to say, forget it. I quit and set them aside. Um, that's that's my reality. Uh, maybe I could fix them. Maybe I could do something about it, but I usually don't. I figure, hey, I'm just, I'll just put those to the side because these other 10 are perfect. Well, and let, let's, I'm going to take a step back and, and, and I'm going to share the holy grail of how you fix that. Okay. So when you're building, and this is hard when you're your local shop and you don't have an arrow saw, when you don't have, when you're not building your own, uh, your own arrows, this can be difficult. But for those of you who that will invest in an arrow saw and like, I love setting up my little laptop on Netflix or Amazon Prime and putting a, a mindless show on in the background and I cut my arrows and I then I take my rubbing alcohol with my Q-tips and I clean them out. Then I take my insert and I use a glue that is a gel type glue that takes 24 hours to cure. Why? Because when I put my insert in, and in this situation, it's an insert that has a, a collar at the end, you know, so you square your arrows up and then you slide it in. And the advantage of that type of a insert versus a true insert that goes deep inside is you don't, your arrow really, really has to be, I mean, honestly, you need a, a, a squaring tool. Um, I think G5 makes a good squaring tool that you can actually take your arrow after you've cut it and, and you roll it on there and there's like a sandpaper that really does get it squared off well. But with this type of a collar that goes inside, it actually is already square. And what I found with the 100 grain ones, they're, the, the brass ones, they're so long, it's pretty easy to get things pretty freaking square even if you're a little off on your arrow. But what I would do is I have my 
spinning tool right there i think it's like 18 bucks right on amazon prime uh, you know you just it's one of those little you can just roll your arrow right on it and um i use that gel i i put my insert in i clean up all the re residual residue then i screw in a broadhead put it on my spinner and i spin it if there's any movement then i can start to rotate that collar and head until I get perfect alignment. I've got, it's not dry yet. Don't get me wrong. I can't go out and shoot that arrow now. But what I've done is I've referenced that so that that, as long as the manufacturer of the broadhead I'm using does a great job of CNC or, or, or whatever it is, that, however they build their broadheads um, and they come out, they're all going to spin true. And I found that dramatically reduced put, you know, grabbing a broadhead, putting it on, spinning it and having wobble. Okay. So that's a, that's a helpful, that's a real helpful. Yeah. All right. And forget guys, forget this wives tale about referencing your veins to your freaking uh, blades. Forget that. That is bull honky. Okay, that has nothing to do with it. You have to have it spin like a top. Okay, so then that's where you start. Now, now you have a dozen arrows. Let's say I did a dozen. I have a dozen that will um, at least give me a good starting point. We didn't even talk about tuning our bow. We're going to assume that you're at least to a point where it's paper tuning and shooting, shooting bullet holes. That should be done. That's a that's a that's something that I think everybody needs to do that's a great starting point okay so then we go back and now we're now i'm at my home range and i've got my spinner on my tailgate i've got all my arrows i've got a couple of variety of of broadheads okay that i'm going to shoot because ideally what i want is i want 12 arrows that i can shoot these three or four broadheads with this arrow okay and it doesn't matter I can, I can put a jackknife on there. I could put a mortem on there. I could put a drone on there. I could put a boss on there. Okay. I do find that with my setup, I have broadheads that typically are just money. And I'm telling you um, that Havilon HV, I mean, this year, I have just been loving the sharpshooter. Why? Because I wanted a cut on contact for my moose. So here I am. I step back. I go, what's my best opportunity? I love the trocar tip, but for a moose, I just, I was really going for that same thing I shot my muskox switch, which was that cut on contact, big two blade with, you know, two nice bleeder blades. And, and I, that's what I wanted. So, I take, I shoot a field tip. Let's say I'm 40 yards, okay? Boom, I shoot a couple field tips, then I'll go and I'll shoot a couple of broadheads. Very simply, I made a very small, minute change where I found that my field points were hitting right. And again, I'm shooting at a 7-inch circle with an orange dot in the middle. Okay, why do I use seven inches? Because seven inches is your average kill zone from antelope to moose. Now, moose is a lot bigger, but I'm still going to go on the conservative side. That's why I always use a seven inch circle. Okay, 
on my field points, I was centered. On my broadheads, I was to the left, okay, consistently. I made the smallest, I would say, between a 32nd and a 16th inch change on my rest, taking my, if you can imagine, I'm moving my broadhead impact towards my field points. I had this exact conversation with a fellow yesterday on the phone, and he he was saying the same thing. He, his broadheads were shooting like consistently two inches to the left, and, and I told him I said, and he's he's ready to go hunting. I don't I remember where he was from. Maybe he didn't even tell me, but he's ready to go hunting, and he doesn't want to make any changes. Uh, why are they, why is this happening? Da da da. And, I, and I, we had this exact conversation. It's it's in your rest, and you know he said, well if I move it, what if I can't get it back? You know it's like hey mark it. You know, yeah. get, get yourself a, a magic mark or some, or some uh, you know, white out or something and make a mark. You can get it exactly where you want it in case you do it, to, you know, go in the wrong direction or whatever. But, yeah, it's it's um, it's more fun when you get to do that and you get to fix things and, and, and do it yourself kind of. And, and I think, like you like you said earlier, you're, you're com- when your confidence level is high, you're going to shoot animals. Yes, oh, yes. If you're and, out there thinking, oh, I couldn't get my broadheads yeah. tuned, I'm, I'm going to always aim two inches to the left of where I really want to hit. That's not good. That's not no, what you okay. want, you know. When you when you release an arrow and you hope it hits, that's, that's the wrong attitude. You should be surprised if it doesn't hit where you want it to, to hit. So so with me, having the, all that whole long uh, diatribe that I, you know, uh, uh, that I just explained on what I do prior, I'm assuming that's where people are at. If they haven't done that, if they haven't spun their arrows, which remarkably enough, there's so many people that are like, what do you mean by spin your arrows? Um, But I think that's something important because just like with anything else, you have to start with a foundation so that you can tick Oh, that's not the problem. I'm going to take that out of the equation. Oh, that's not the problem. I'm going to take that out of the equation. The other thing that is in the equation is you. I don't test broadheads on windy days because I can't trust myself. I'm much more accurate. I need, so I do it early morning or late evening, which usually is is the calmest if there is a little bit of wind that day. Um, So once I got that all together, I I walk around, people laugh at me, but I walk around like in my quiver right now is two sharpshooters, 100 grains with, again, the the same exact arrow setup i have a mortem i have a havilon hv and i have a jackknife okay why well because they all hit where they i want them to hit and in a situation where i have to shoot longer distances i know for a fact that my fixed blade broadheads are going to hit lower and that's not a rest issue that's an aerodynamic issue, okay? When I shoot my field points and I'm shooting at 80 yards, I'm not going to shoot an animal at 80 yards, people. Trust me. But unless they already have an arrow in them, then I would try and get a second arrow in them. But if I'm trying to shoot that and I shoot my field points and I'm hitting my mark and then I take my field, my fixed blades and I shoot and I'm six inches low, I don't adjust my rest. I don't because I could take a jackknife then and guess what? My jackknife is going to be three or three, three, maybe four inches low. Why? Because it's the aerodynamics. A field point 
a jackknife broadhead and a fixed blade, whether it be the, the drone or, or Havilon HV or whatever, has more drag. The more drag you have, the lower it's going to hit. It's, you, there's nothing wrong there, people. There's nothing wrong. You just have to, that's just part of hunting. It's the same thing when I'm rifle hunting. Okay, when I'm shooting, unless I have one of those uh, track turret scopes where I'm dialing it in, if I'm on at 200, where am I aiming at 300? Well, that depends on my bullet weight. You know, all of these things that you factor out when you're in on the range. Well, you have to do the same thing. Well, but I want to dial my sight to 80 yards. Well, you might want to think about maybe just keeping it in your mind that you need to dial it to 81 and a half or 82 when you're shooting a a uh, a fixed blade these are things that people um it's just impossible for a field point to fly the same as a fixed blade broadhead if you're if you're getting a point of impact that's identical at 80 yards then your bow is not tuned and you're lucky yeah, I think you said the right word, lucky. But I, I want to point out something else too. And, and again, this is a difference between East Coast, West Coast, you know, guys. It, where, where we live here, Pennsylvania, where we hunt predominantly, Pennsylvania, New York, you you couldn't shoot eighty yards if your life depended on them. There's, right. there's no place to shoot that far. I mean, you could, you know, right. maybe you're on a field edge or something. But I mean, it's just not something that that we do. You know, and I, I don't even my my local. I can only shoot at sixty yards. My local range only goes to sixty. But I agree with you. I shoot at sixty. I would never shoot a deer that far. Right. Uh, but I, it, like you said, a, a weird circumstance. Of, you know, trying to put it down or something. But um, it, 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 I start out far, and then as I get in closer to that twenty-five yard, which is a typical range, you, you just your confidence goes up, and your your groups right. get better. Right. Um, and having said and, that, I, I also want to say that. Moving from 100 grain to 125 grain, and this is a this is a, a discussion I think worth having is, it's it's not that big of a difference. Okay, it's 25 grains. I get it. You know, it it's as a percent of your total arrow weight, it's not that much. And yeah, we can all talk about it's a little slower and it's going to drop a little bit, but I mean it's a little bit. I and mean, at 25 okay. yards, if you're not a really 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 seasoned archer, you know, really good at, you're not even going to notice it. Right, um, and I think a no, lot of true. guys miss out on that. They because I, I have this conversation because everybody knows about gun hunting. You put powder in a bullet, and you put X number of grains in a bullet. And and trust me, I have a seven mag that'll punch holes all day long at a hundred yards, and it, it's it's a hundred. You know, you use a hundred sixty five grain bullet. If you put, if you put in a hundred and fifty grain bullet, it's going to be a whole different place. You know, it's not even going to be close uh, at that at that range. So people think grains of uh, of bullet or grains of powder, especially when you if people that do hand loading, you know, a couple of three, four grains of powder can make a huge difference on, on where a bullet's going to land. But three or four grains in a 430 or 420 grain overall arrow setup it's not going to be that kind of a difference. You're not right. going to you're not going to see that that huge difference. Right. And a grain, I know. I agree. a grain as a weight of measurement. I there's a couple of things I wish we could do a little differently. I, I don't like grains as a as a weight of measurement for broadheads because, like I said, I think it it can it tells people that grains of powder and grains of, of broadheads it must be the same. Oh my gosh, I can't be off. I have guys call me that you know these broad. I I brought broadheads and one's ninety nine point eight and one's a hundred point one, and it's like 
you know, three, three grains is, or three tenths of a grain is like the hair on your head. I mean, right. <laughs> not that I have any out, but yeah. so, so I hear, <laughs> but, um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's not, I grant it, you should be the same. You should be as accurate as you can. You should be as consistent as you can. That all plays into it. Um, but it's, it's just not as important as, as uh, people think it is to be, I have guys that are, that are, you know, adding little pieces of tape on their arrow and stuff to try to get the weight up. And, you know, by, by three tenths of a grain or something, it's like, Oh man, you know, it's like, you're really, you're really grasping at straws. If, if, uh, if you, if you feel like you need that. Um, but again, that's, it's just me. I've, I've not seen the difference. I can't, I can't, you know, like you said, it's not my opinion, it's my experience. Um, I, I can't I can't see that difference. Not that you shouldn't strive for that perfection, but... Well, and it's fun. It's fun to, to learn that yourself. It's fun. I mean, I have, I build, I'll take a dozen arrows, I have my aerosol set up the same way. I'm doing everything. And I'll go, and why is it that one arrow will be three grains different than the next? Um, I mean, I have, I've got in my quiver right now, anywhere from a 508 grain arrow total weight. And I write, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible. I'm, I'm, I'm too anal. I'm almost too anal, but I weigh and I write the weight on. So one will be 508. I have ones that are 496. Okay. So that's 12 grains difference. I am not a good enough shooter to tell the difference um, and I'm a pretty decent shooter, but at, even at 80 yards, I'm not getting substantial difference. So uh, that that supports what you're saying. Uh, as long as you're within that, I think what's more important is your spine and the fact that your your broadhead spins true. Now, go to my mule deer hunt this year. Last year, I shot my mule deer. Um, I got decent penetration but i hit the offside shoulder um and didn't get a pass through other than the 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 i was shooting a Havilon hv uh the tip poked through the other side okay now i'm not talking shoulder ball socket i'm talking scapula type stuff so we're talking cartilage okay it was just quartering away um okay this year my mule deer 32 yards we set up on this uh i'd seen these deer working through this open gate around this bluff and we i went in there and and uh actually spooked them um the first night because we didn't have a good enough hide a good enough uh, natural blind i was just trying to tuck in the trees we got busted boom so the next day midday i went in there i cut down a bunch of cedars and i built me a beautiful little half moon type about waist high stack of these boughs up against this tree so it, it looked more natural well the next night these deer thank good the good lord followed the same suit buck comes up i go that's the one i draw kind of low i come up you know my cameraman's running i set that baby right behind the shoulder and i pull through the shot the buck at the sound of the bow, even at 32 yards, turns kind of into me. So I actually hit it close to where you don't want to aim, right? But that was just the, the natural reaction of the buck. My arrow blew through that shoulder, 
the opposite shoulder and the only thing holding in that arrow were my four fletches. Okay, of course you can imagine the buck didn't go 60 yards and you know DRT dead right there. So I'm like, okay, this is a good setup. And on top of that, because I was hunting deer, I had grabbed my jackknife. Okay, grabbed my jackknife. My shots were going to be anywhere from 12 yards to 65 yards because of this gap they could walk through, depending upon what trail they took. So I wanted the, the opportunity to have, a, if need be, be able to take a longer shot. I knew my drag wasn't as much. I knew it was going to be pretty quick, uh, quick decision, and I have 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 yard pin um, on my bow. But I do have an adjustable bow where my bottom pin becomes my floater, so I can shoot further distances. But I'm, but that's what I hunt with. I don't usually shoot past 60. Again, this was 32 yards. I was pretty impressed. Um, and so with that being said, I'm like, okay, going into my moose hunt, I was like, all right, I felt like that was pretty dang good kinetic energy. You know, I didn't just blow through the deer in the soft tissue, maybe through the ribs or whatever, you know, and pop the lungs behind the shoulder. The, because of the way he turned into me, I actually went through the right side shoulder and most of the, uh, a little bit further back uh, on the on the offside shoulder, but I still went through both shoulders. So that was pretty impressive. Yeah, it, it you, you you reminded me, and it's been it's been oh my gosh six seven years. But one, one of one of the top three biggest deer I've ever shot. I was I was in Kansas um, in a stand, and I was in one of those places that that deer hunters dream about. I mean, the, the rut was on and I mean, it was on there. There was breeding going on. There was fighting. There was, I mean, it was just, it was the most insane day in the field I have ever personally experienced. Um, and the wind kicked up. And when I say kicked up uh, in Kansas, you know, a 30 mile an hour wind is an average day. Um, and it was, I'm in this cottonwood tree, which was pretty sturdy, but I'm blowing all over the place. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to switch to my jackhammer. I'm, I'm going to switch out in case I have to take a longer shot here. Um, because of, of the wind. And I was, you know, I was starting right. to second guess myself. I was getting nervous. And cause I mean, there, there was so much activity. It was, it was so cold. I started the morning at eight below zero. Oh, I don't know how cold it was by, by the time I, I shot just around noontime, but I don't know how cold it was then, but it was still daggone cold. Um, but making a, a long story really short, the buck I ended up killing walked walked five yards from my stand, right right from behind me, right underneath me. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't have needed any jackhammer. I wouldn't need any you know, anything special. But um, I, I always I always think of that story when people talk about you know distance of shooting mechanicals versus fixed and right. so on and so forth. I was happy it worked out the way it did, but um, it was still a, uh, a you know a, a choice I made uh, sitting in a stand you know sort of an audible at the line if you will right yeah and it worked and it worked out well you had confidence in that and sometimes just that little extra bit of confidence even if you it would have been a 40 yard shot let's say or a 50 yard shot um you know that just that extra bit of confidence at, the, at when you're pulling through that shot it makes all the difference in the world so so for me 
this little bit of confidence now we head up to 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 the moose hunt i'm excited you know i'm looking around i want to kill a good moose um we found a couple what just wasn't this what we were looking for we get into the situation and it, i mean this is just awesome this is this bull with three cows and we start raking and you know calling and he's coming and it's just well we get around the wind's right and it's one of those things where okay i just need the shot and it's so perfect i'm i'm kind of really relaxed now again i'm shooting the sharpshooter again 100 grain sharpshooter with 100 grain so basically i'm shooting like a like i'm shooting a 200 grain broadhead okay because i do have that weight behind it so i've got 200 200 grains up front even though the broadhead's only a half of that um and i come to full draw on multiple occasions anywhere from 20 to 30 to 40 yards and the the bull just doesn't give me the just the right just you know just that right angle so i let down we called that bull in 45 it took us 45 minutes i mean it was just awesome we called that bull back and we ended up calling his cows into like 12 yards and that's when the bull really came and um i remember one time he was probably at 18 yards and i had him and my cameraman didn't and i couldn't shoot and you know that's the 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 quandary of of trying to film what you're doing you you it's not just your angle it's your camera's camera angle and then there was another time that my cameraman is like yeah shoot him and i'm like i can't there's there's brush in front of me there's no way i can shoot him right here even though he's only 20 yards anyway all the stars align i shoot him i shoot him and I'm very careful not to try the old shoulder shot on a moose. I'm just not doing it, right? Even regardless of what I had with a deer. And I put it behind the shoulder on, he's, he's facing to my right, quartering a little bit away. And I put it, and at first thought, I'm like, man, am I a little bit far back? But again, I go through the ribs. It comes out on the offside shoulder, not in the shoulder, but just right behind the shoulder, like where you would want to aim if you had a, a, a perfect broadside shot, you know, right behind that shoulder, kind of in that crease. And that's where it came out. And the only thing holding that in on a moose, mind you, is the four fletches. And it the air... The arrow's just flopping as he's running off, right? And he doesn't make it 50 yards and starts to weeble wobble. He doesn't do the weeble wobble fall down. He does the weeble wobble, I'm going to bed down, I'm not feeling good. And he bedded down 50 yards. That's all he went. And then he got up again, took two more steps, bedded down again, and and then I could hear his breathing. He was hurting. And I ended up sneaking up there and, and, and shooting, shooting him again because I just can't stand that. I can't stand that raspy last couple of breaths i just wanted to put them out of their misery i just feel so bad but what what impressed upon me is that broadhead um the kinetic energy the combination of that setup was just amazing just amazing and um my confidence in this shot my confidence in my whole setup it just compounded to that glorious moment and here now i have a uh, I'm trying to actually figure out where to elk hunt because I kind of had figured out I was going to spend this whole September moose hunting and shot him the second day. <laughs> so now I'm, now I'm, but I, that's the exact same setup I'm going to, sh- I'm going to shoot for elk because it's just, 
um, it's just lethal. It's just really lethal. And, and I trust it. And I think that, that a lot of that comes back to all that preparation that in my opinion, like you mentioned before, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's well, I think you, you said you said the word confidence multiple times, and I think I did too earlier. It's, and I think that's the key to this. If you're confident, um, you're you're going to enjoy this sport a whole lot better. Um, if you're like you said, if you're if you're the guy that just you know the season starts on Saturday and today's Thursday, and you're thinking about getting your bow out for the first time, um, I, I couldn't I couldn't walk into the field like that. So I, I think confidence is is uh, of the utmost importance. Right. Right. I, you know, there's I, I want to keep having these discussions because there's more and more things that are going to arise. Um, and I, I know we've been going over an hour now and I, and I know you got other things to do, so I'm going to let you go. But but what I what I want to do through these discussions is try and have some of these simple questions that you and I might go, well, OK, wait, let's take a step back. Is your bow tuned? You know, have you spun your arrows? All of these things, which we'll continue to hit on, but it all comes down to when you're depending upon your setup, you need to find what flies best for you. And if I went through the whole lineup of wasp broadhead broadheads, even as anal as I am, I am going to find a few broadheads that just kind of rise to the top in the way they fly and the the cutting diameter that I want in the kinetic energy they have downrange which a lot of them are going to be similar but going back to my daughter's the, the the illustration I used before my daughter's bow I don't want something that's going to suck kinetic energy out because she doesn't have kinetic energy to spare therefore that's an easy choice for her she's going to shoot a fixed blade Okay, something that's going to fly good for her bow. Um, And then from then on, as you get up into heavier poundage bows, longer draw lengths, your your world opens up for what you want to shoot. So then it becomes what flies good in my setup. And Adam called me. He said, man, he said, I'm having trouble. He said, I'm I'm having trouble. My my I can't get my fixed blades to fly. And I, I, I don't think he'd mind me sharing this, but this is a guy who lives off the grid. He guides. He doesn't have time to go paper tune. He doesn't have time. He just doesn't. He doesn't. He's not near a bow shop. I mean, he have to drive an hour and a half to get to a bow shop. And, and yet he could turn around and I call it cheat the system a little bit, but he was able to get really accurate, accurate, shots out of the wasp uh jackknife and he was he did not trust the accuracy of some of the fixed blades and i'll tell you why i know it was has to do with his bow he did not spend the time getting his bow paper tuned to have that platform to, to build off of he did not spin every one of his arrows up right he's dealing with what he has in the field and he's and and it's just the lifestyle he leads. A lot of times he'll leave me his bow and I'll go find somebody at the archery range that's right-handed because I am I shoot left-handed, uh, you know, at the archery shop who's got a longer draw length who can at least kind of, we can kind of get that thing dialed for him. Well, let me just say this. He tested it. He found something that worked. And like I said, he shot a whitetail in velvet at a poke and I'm not going to say the distance because we'll get a bunch of hate mail, and he pinwheeled him. Then he went, shot a mule deer at over 60 yards, pinwheeled him, and just killed an elk. All 
with the wasp jackknife. So although I wouldn't want to shoot, I would not want to hunt elk with the with the jackknife. I would prefer a fixed blade. The fact of the matter is, we all know you could kill an animal with a field point if you hit it in the right spot. Okay, so so the bottom line is where and with what are you the most accurate that builds confidence and and you go from there so I, people ask me what broadhead should i shoot that i just shake my head i'm like okay i have to ask so many questions to get to a point to say okay this is the broadhead that i would suggest for you um and hopefully we have given some people some ideas where they can they can kind of start to make those uh, factors out for themselves. Um, you know, if you're shooting a lower poundage bow, if you're a, a short draw length, I would definitely lead toward some uh, shooting a fixed blade all the time. If you're in that mid range, you have a lot of flexibility, but you could shoot what shoot what flies good. If you're on that heavier bow, long draw length, as long as it flies good, man, God bless you. You're gonna, you've got all. The world is your oyster. Let me, so. let me, let me say one more, one more thing, Trevor, before we sign off. Um, you know, I, I, I never profess to be an, an expert because I'm learning every day. Right. Um, things are changing, um, but I, I do this for a living, and for on on behalf of Wasp, I, I half of my job, literally half of my job, is fielding these calls from people. And I, I really I never want to come off as, hey, listen to me because I know best because that's that's not true. Um, I try to be humble. I try to talk people through it. I try to help them with their problems. And I think it's one of the things that sets sets Wasp off, you know, from others is that you get that personal one on one response. Um, I have I have traded emails back and forth with the same guy 12 times. Um, I don't mind it. Um, the, the, when they get calls at the factory, they forward them to my personal cell phone all hours of the day and night, because I, you know, the, my fellow hunters are very important to me. I think it's a, it's a wonderful sport. If I can help somebody in any way, that's what I like to do. Um, but I, I literally do this for, for half of my day, um, is try to help people and say, okay, tell me about your setup. Why are you having this problem? Or what, you know, what can I do to help? Or just that, that initial guidance we talked about saying, Hey, you know, given the circumstances you explained to me and what type of hunting and distance you plan on shooting and so forth, I would recommend this broadhead or that broadhead. I, I usually try to get two or three choices, not not just one. But like I said, I, I never want to I never want to come off sounding like that guy who knows everything because I certainly do not. Um, right. But I know what I know what works for me, uh, and I I know what works uh, to help to help people at least get them pointed in the right direction. And then after that, you know, you got to put the work in yourself. You know, you got to. You got to do a little bit of practice, and you got to you got to play with it a little bit to uh, to take it where it needs to be. But you can my my number here at Wasp is seven one seven two five six nine one eight seven, and I am happy to take you know calls from anybody who who feels like they want to just talk or need assistance or what have you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think that uh, that's a good attitude to have. I also think that people. There's a plethora of information out on the internet today, um, but I think the key is you have to have you have to start with a foundation that is um, you have to have a 
something reliable to, to build on. And that starts with make sure your bow is at least paper tuned. Understand what it is uh, to, uh, I mean, do a Google search, do a YouTube search on walkback tuning. Then look at broadhead. There's a lot of factors out there. And if you're not, if you're scared to touch your bow, um, as you mentioned earlier, I think a great idea is, look, man, freaking make a mark on your rest so you can always get back to what you would consider zero okay but then as you move your rest you and move it in minute small small amount i the hamski uh hybrid hunter pro has a minute adjustment on it and i mean i can see the mark and as i twist the little knob it moves it just the slightest amount i lock it down when i shoot that next arrow I can see how it affects. I either went the wrong way or I went the right way. End of story, unless I have a bad shot. You know, I mean, the the, the limiting, limiting factor sometimes, honestly, can be us. And and in my opinion, if your max yardage you're going to be able to shoot is 30 yards, well, you need to be able to shoot consistently and hit that 7-inch circle. I know that's huge. You should be aiming for the center of it, but... You need to know what your effective range is outside of the broadheads. What If you're shooting at 60 and that's what you're going to hunt at, well, then you better consistently through different conditions and different shooting positions be able to hit that 60-yard mark or that's too far. Don't shoot that far. The whole beautiful thing about bow hunting is getting close. And I, think, I think it's important, too, to... Um, to at some point either you know go to a 3d shoot go to a techno hunt or you know one of the video hunts or something like that or at least at the very least shoot at a at a game animal that you're planning to hunt you know shoot a target that looks like right. a, a deer or looks like a turkey or looks like mm-hmm. an elk or whatever because it's not that they don't come with bullseyes on the side of them you know that's that's a great way to practice every day but um, you really, really need the first time, especially first timers. You know, you get out there when that. I mean, I, I still, I've been. Oh my God, I've been doing this 50 years, and when I first first deer of the season walks by, man, I'm jittery. You know, yeah. <laughs> I got a case of the nerves, and it takes me a while to calm down, um, which is which is good. That's why you know it, it's exciting, and why I keep doing it. All right, for sure. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, you know, I I'll keep plunking away trying to lighten your load on some of the uh some of the social media questions um and uh and and then uh, i know you're still gonna knock it out of the park there at the at the office and and uh you know act asking speaking on behalf of wasp and, and the factory and some of that stuff but it's good to get this information out because i think it's important that people understand this there's some science to this but it's not rocket science and what I mean by that is there, there is science to this, but it's not rocket science. You can do this type of stuff yourself, and it's fun. It's a lot of fun. So I want to encourage people to get out of their comfort zone and be able to have a safety net like marking your rest so that if you know how to get back to where you were. But the fact of the matter is you'd be surprised what little tiny minute details, if everything else is consistent, you can do. And then all of a sudden now you're getting that more accurate uh, flight. I even know I even know know guys that they consistently for some reason their broadheads will be uh, two inches to the left and I mean but it's legit 
and they'll turn around. They'll mark where their where their rest is, uh, or, or I mean where their where their site is, um, for field points, and they'll move it over. And all of a sudden, now their accuracy is spot on, but their field points are to the right. Well, what matters more? I mean, there's some things they would probably could do if they really started to get down and and these minute, little, tiny, small things. But they're very accurate in the field. And I know guys that do that. And I'm not going to tell them they're wrong because I see the freaking animals they put on the ground. You know, it was so much it was so much harder. I tell I tell these younger fellows are starting out. Today's bows are so advanced. You know, back back in the day when the bow, and I don't remember, the, I'm gonna throw a number out, but I mean, no, I know they were more than 40 inches axle to axle. I mean, they were long, long bows. Right. And we shot fingers. No one had heard of a of a release aid, or if we did, we couldn't afford to get one. Um, and it was that was a that was a challenge then to shoot to shoot broadheads. Um, today, there's so much you can and and a burger button and a flipper rest. Remember those terms? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but today, there's so much cool stuff out there, and and bows are so advanced that you're right. With a little bit of work and effort, you should be able to you should be able to be confident and be accurate. Yeah, for sure. Well, I want to wish you the best of luck this season, and uh, keep on rocking on, and we'll just uh, yeah, we'll just keep working to to get good information out to people and. Uh, and enjoying it all right brother i hope i see you at some shows i hope we have shows in this crazy yeah i don't know man it is it's crazy times crazy times all right well thanks for listening everybody as always i want to encourage you guys to go out and find that wild place that inspires your soul and embrace it god bless and we will see you down the trail all right so long everyone